Welcome to the Culture Classroom, a podcast for teachers and coaches by teachers and coaches. Listen to top leaders, innovators, and influencers share their stories about how intentional culture elevates performance. Now, here are your hosts, John Weaver and John Torrey. Let's get better together. The Culture Classroom is powered by Pro Quick Draw. Clinic season is right around the corner. Are you ready? Pro Quick Draw is here to get you organized. Listen to our sponsor as they talk about the effectiveness for building your playbook with Microsoft Visio and PowerPoint. ProQuickDraw is the Microsoft playbook development system that is centered on increasing your efficiency in drawing plays, generating scouting reports, creating scout cards, drawing within PowerPoint and Visio. Build your library of plays from scratch or by using the PQD folder system. Utilize our Visio stencils or PowerPoint shape library to help you draw your plays. Create your playbook by adding drawings from your library to a custom template to help organize your final playbook. PQD will resize your drawing based on the template that you have chosen. We believe we have the tools that can help you become a better coach. Hey, welcome to the Culture Classroom. Today we have Brian Kite. You're familiar with Brian with Daily Discipline. If you get his emails, uh, you see him now with his podcast. If you haven't checked that out, you need to do it immediately um, to get your five to seven minute fix of a quick nugget to help your day get off to a better start than when you woke up in the morning. So, Brian, welcome to the classroom. Hey, John, it's good to be here, man. And, uh, you know, the podcast is, is funny. We, we, um, we, we've wanted to do one for a while. We've always thought that the Daily Discipline email would, would have a good traction in the podcast environment. And we kind of kicked it around for a while. We, we finally just said, look, why don't we just take what we're doing in the email and say that there, there, there's people who don't want another email in their inbox. And I get that. Right. Um, but everybody at some point has time for a two to four minute podcast and people struggle with, well, how much value can you really get out of a two to four minute podcast? Well, you know, we don't always have time for a 45 minute podcast and I don't always have time to read, uh, frankly, an entire article. Uh, but I've got time to read 30 seconds of uh, a daily discipline. I've got one or two minutes to listen to a podcast. And I think one of the things I'm excited to do is, you know, earn the right to say, if, if you, if you give me 30 minutes, 30 seconds of attention, if you give me two or three minutes of your attention on the podcast, um, it'll be valuable. Uh, and if it's not, feel free to not listen ever again and unsubscribe. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to be able to bring that every day and to be able to do it for free, which is one of the things that I'm most excited about is that we can do this and we can do it every day and it's easily accessible and free for everybody. Segment one is brought to you by GameStrat, the most reliable, advanced, and fastest sideline replay system on the market. It's simple and easy to use with 24-7 support. Choose GameStrat for all your game day needs at GameStrat.com or on Twitter at GameStrat. It's our second time with you in the classroom. We're going to do something a little different today. We want to jump into your story and let's go back in time to focus three. Mm. And I know, uh, I know there's a story behind it of with Ohio state. There's a story of why you jumped in it with your dad. And there's some backstory to that. So if you don't mind sharing some of that backstory of why you got started with focus three and what's kept you going along this path of leadership. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think what, what, when I think about my story, uh, you know, it, it, it really goes back to, to me when I was in college, because, uh, you know, when I first fell in love with the, the, the individual 
personal discipline, mental discipline, all of that, the, the leadership, team environment, team culture, all of that. I, I first fell in love with that as an athlete um, and as a college student. Uh, and I wasn't a good college student. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't that I wasn't smart, wasn't that I wasn't capable, it was that I wasn't disciplined in the classroom uh, in the truest sense, right? I was disciplined on the field, but not in the classroom. And in the first place I really touched discipline outside of the athletic environment was on this topic of leadership and culture. Like it, it immediately was like, oh, that, that's what falling in love with studying something and pouring into something and wanting to put in hours and hours of reading and writing. And that's what that feels like. So I wanted to do that. And I actually pre, and I don't, I don't talk about this a lot, before I graduated college, I was completely committed to, to starting the athletics division, if you will, of Focus 3. And, and I had told my dad, hey, that's what I want to do. And I had zero, in- I said, look, I don't, I don't want to work in business. Business is boring and it's lame. I don't want to be in there. Um, and, I, and I really, and I, we, you know, we laugh at this, but I'm like, I really, I don't, I don't really want to work with you. So you know what I'm saying here? Like, I, it's not like, I don't, I don't want this to be like, a, I, I really want to go build something, right? Um, and that was the plan. And then right, like literally like the week before I graduated, John, my friend uh, back in my, my hometown of LA in Manhattan Beach called me and said, hey, what are you doing when you graduate? And I go on and I explain this whole thing I'm doing. He's like, dude, he's like, why don't you come move out here? I got a room, I won't charge you. And at the literally the week before I graduated, my friend offered me to move back to Manhattan Beach, California, paradise. And I called my dad and said, Hey dad, I can really start this leadership and culture thing anytime I want, but I got an opportunity to go back and live on the beach. I'm going. And he he tried to say, Hey, that may not be the and I don't even think I let him finish the sentence or the statement, right? Like a like a 22 year old with his dad would. And so I moved to LA and I was in sales and recruiting, uh, working in Westwood, living on the beach. And it took me all of, I mean, my first week on the job that I had out there, I knew I'd made a mistake my first week. Um, and it took me all of six months to solidify my mind that not only had I made a mistake, but I didn't belong and wasn't ready to be in California because I lacked the discipline to live in that environment and still do great work. Um, I resented having to go into work and I hated going back. Uh, uh, I hated when I was kept away from this beautiful life that existed out there. Right. So, um, but I did, I did stay until I closed, uh, deals. I, I, I wouldn't let myself quit that job until I performed in that job. And so right. I actually stayed like three months longer than I wanted to because I wouldn't, I wasn't gonna leave the job until I performed. I just, I, I from a, from a character perspective, it didn't feel right to quit before I performed. So I moved back to Ohio um, and tried to launch the athletics division, sort of the original plan, just sort of with an eight month delay, if you will. And for a year I tried and got zero clients. I mean, I didn't get a second meeting. Uh, I couldn't get anybody to meet with me after the very first time. Um, And and I've said this a bunch of times, right? Reason number one is I wasn't good enough. Reason number two is, you know, this was almost 20 years ago. Uh, it was, it was ahead of like, people weren't really doing this at that time a ton, right? It was, it was kind of new. And then number three, coaches are stubborn and probably don't want to hear it from a 22 year old. Um, it just was a mismatch. Right. And so I reluctantly, the way I got started in focus three was, um, you know, I needed to make money and my dad had, you know, business and things that were going on and I was working some stuff here and there. And so my dad said, well, why don't you help me with some back office stuff? Like, somebody literally processing Excel sheets and, you know, <clears throat> stuff that nobody really wants to do. And for sure, my dad didn't want to. Right. And so he said, hey, do this. So I'm like, it, it literally in a basement, 
like processing all of this stuff and doing these things. And one day my dad couldn't speak at an event for a client, a credit union. He had double booked himself or something like that, or he had a, a, another gig that he wanted to go do and he couldn't tell the original client no. And so he came and he said, do you want to do this event? And I said, sure. And so I went and uh, I put on my collared shirt and my coat and I went at 23 and I did my first keynote for 200 people at a credit union, about two hours. And it was like, I, it was like, remember Will Ferrell in, uh, in old school where, he, where they asked him a question during the debate, and he like blacks out and is brilliant. Right. And then he wakes yeah. up and he's like, what happened? Brilliance aside. Uh, I, I felt like uh, it, the two hours was a blur and it was like the most exciting two hours of my life. And immediately I walked away and I said, Oh, that's what I am meant to do. It's not about sports. It's not about athletes. It's about people. It's about teams, it's about performance. And I never knew that a credit union or a hospital or an accounting firm or a manufacturing plant had the same kind of competitive uh, spirit and fire and team stuff that football or anything else did. Mm -hmm. And so I came back to my dad and I said, hey, I'm all in, what do we do? And he said, well, you can work with me, but let's let's think about it. And maybe you should go get another job first. And you know, we, we talked to a bunch of clients even um, and kind of got their opinion. and. One guy who actually ended up being on our Focus 3 team, uh, uh, another guy named Tim, we sat down. I remember this like yesterday. We were at Starbucks in Dublin, Ohio, and the three of us were talking, and then my dad left, and <clears throat> Tim sat down with me, and he said, listen, Brian, and he said, I'm going to tell you. He's like, if you listen to me at all, go work somewhere else, not for your dad, work in business, get some reps, get some experience, and like, don't go work right now inside Focus 3 go get that and then come back and then go. And he goes, you're going to do what you want. He goes, but like, hear me when I say that. Well, I didn't do that. Um, and then like 11 years, 10 years later, when I was CEO, we actually hired Tim. He ended up becoming our chief operating officer and was one of the biggest instrumental pieces in helping us grow. And we laugh about that a lot today. Um, but that was how I got started. Um, and I got into, into Focus 3 and, and my dad had uh, had two rules. He said, he said, you can come work with me. Um, um, and I was going to be a contractor uh, and I was a contractor for the next decade at focus three. So I wasn't even an employee. I was a self-employed. And he said, rule number one is you don't make any money until you make me money. Oh. And then rule number two is if it's ever between you or the client, I'll pick the client every time. If you're not good enough to be in the room and the client doesn't think you can be there, I am not going to advocate for you. Wow. The client wins. We're going to do what the client needs. And, uh, and so he held to that rule. Uh, my, I think my first year working at Focus 3, I made uh, $24,000. Uh, I think my second year, um, I killed it and made $27,000. And then my fourth year, I knocked out of the park and made $31,000. Um, and so, and, and the reason was because I, he, I made no money until I made more than I cost the company. And he held to that. And so my first three years were just, you know, like learning how to swim, right? So that I didn't sink and, and wash out. And so that was, that was how we got started. Yeah, I know there's a, there's a cool story of when you got started. And I've heard this before, and some of our listeners um, have probably also heard this, but there's a time when you were at Ohio State. And I don't know if you were in the program, like you were all already seasoned, or you were first starting with Focus 3, uh, but can you take us on that journey? I think that's an awesome story about how Ohio State got into E plus R equals O and how they got with Focus 3 and navigating their discipline and their character and their leadership principles inside their football program. 
Yeah, that, 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 one, that one was really fun. So uh, it was actually 10 years. Uh, it was a decade in. So I've been working for Focus 3 for 10 years. Um, I had taken over as, uh, as CEO of Focus 3. Um, uh, and side note, by the way, I became CEO of Focus 3 while I was still a contractor. So technically, I was the CEO of a company I wasn't even employed by. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how many people have that on their resume, but I do. No idea what it's worth uh, if I ever need to go send one of those things in. Um, so my, my first order of business as CEO was hiring myself. I, I don't know if that, I don't know what that says about me, but we, you know, we had, um, you know, as one of the, one of the things I wanted to do and do for my dad and with my dad was I, and taking over as CEO was I really wanted to help grow the business beyond sort of the, the sole operator approach that he had been with. I wanted to, I wanted to grow it and turn it into a system that leveraged all these great things my dad had contributed and built and done. And I wanted to give him a bigger network. Um, and I wanted, frankly, I don't know, and I wanted to contribute into it. And so uh, I had been um, hammering my dad uh, before we got to a high step and hammering my dad to, we needed a repeatable sales process, right? A, a, way to, a way to engage with a prospect where it didn't rely on, you know, his innate talent to move a deal forward, right? And, and introduce it to somebody, which it can be in a lot of entrepreneurial creative businesses. Too much is on the founder, right? And so I've been hammering, 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 like, it's gotta be this, it's gotta be this. You can't, you can't just have you going in and work on the Tim Kite magic because nobody else can do that. And now we can't hire salespeople and it's very hard, right? You know, it's very CEO scaling stuff. So I go on vacation to Hawaii. Uh, we surprised our friends out there, it was super cool. While I'm in Hawaii, my dad calls and he says, hey, I met Urban Meyer last night. And I go, cool. You know, I'm, you know, I'm like, do you see him at the movie theater? You know, that happens in Columbus, right? He goes, no, he's like, I was at his house. We got invited there for an FCA event. Um, he goes, we talked one-on-one -on -one for like two hours. And I know my dad, my dad's engaging. And I know Urban, uh, I mean, I didn't know him, know him at the time, but like I knew enough about him. Like Urban doesn't just sit and talk to people at cocktail parties for two hours, right? Like that's not his style. And so uh, he goes, yeah, he goes, he said he wanted me to email him. And I'm like, well, that's really cool, right? And so then he calls me the next day and he goes, hey, I emailed Urban, he invited me down to a leadership session today so my dad goes i'm meanwhile i'm in hawaii just hearing all of this so my dad goes to the leadership session down at the woody hayes center the whack they call it he goes to a leadership session where urban does uh, a leadership session with his uh with his like top 20 players right <clears throat> his leadership council my dad watches it urban says i want you to watch don't want you to participate and i want you to give me feedback on what you see so my dad does that <clears throat> i get back from hawaii uh, my dad tells me about the leadership session, kind of gives me a breakdown of it. Urban says, give us a one page, no more than one page write up on what your impressions are. And basically what we send back is great content, energetically delivered, uh, but no system. And therefore very little of what you actually said is going to get applied, but they will be very motivated for about 18 hours. As we said, so we sent that over. He replied back like, I don't know, four hours later and says, do you have a system? And we said, yeah, we have a system. And he goes, cool, can you meet tomorrow at three o'clock at the Woody? We said, yeah, we can. So we get in the car, we are driving down. And as we're driving down, my dad says, hey, BK, you've been really hammering me about our sales process and how we introduce stuff to our prospects and clients, especially around E plus R equals O. He goes, when it comes time to introduce it, he goes, why don't you lead it the way that you think it ought to be led? And I go, okay, no problem. So we go to the Woody Hayes and sort of as it, as it kind of turned out, you know, uh, uh, 
the, the logistics of the meeting were actually kind of funny. So we go into to Urban's office and, and, and I went to the bathroom before we all went in. And so I ended up being the last person coming into the room and it's kind of a, you get lost in there. So I come walking in the room and everybody's already there in Urban's office. And my dad, Urban, Mickey Marotti, um, and David Trichel, who's the, the director of post-production of video content. And I didn't know anybody, obviously, except for my dad. So shake hands. We sit down and my back is to the whiteboard and Urban's long table where, you know, he does all the recruiting. I'm we're sitting there and he says, hey, um, he kind of immediately turns to Marotti and Mickey Marotti looks like he wants to beat the hell out of us. Like he looks like this is the last place in the world he wants. I mean, he's a strength coach. He is looking at like, I've been, I, I mean, I'm a ball player. I know when people don't want to be in these rooms, he didn't want to be in that room. Yeah. And so, you know, it's not the most comfortable environment to come into, right? And so, uh, and so Urban says, all right. And he kind of sits back and he's kind of, you know, got his feet up and he goes, hey, you know, these two guys do leadership development. They worked in corporate America. Tim was a, a track athlete, you know, BK played college football, you know, they came and watched our stuff and we believe in leadership. They believe in leadership. I think leadership is the most important thing in the program. Um, and they said, you don't have a system. And I started asking myself, he's like, it kind of pissed me off at first. He goes, but then all of a sudden, well, what is my system? And he goes, then I realized I don't think we actually have one. And then he's, and he looks at us and he goes, so you guys say that you have one. And he turns to Mickey and, and David, he goes, that's why they're here is to tell us what their system is. And then he turns and, and he literally folds his arms, leans back in his chair, puts both of his feet on his desk. And he goes, so show us what you got guys. Like this. And my dad goes, thanks urban. I really appreciate it. And my dad turns to me and goes, BK, why don't you go ahead? Wow. <laughs> and literally like, we're like 90 seconds into this discussion. And my dad, like in all of his wisdom, BK, you know, go and do your thing. Yeah. And so, this, so that's where it's scary. And here's where it got fun. So I, I stood up and I said, Hey, can I, can I erase this? What's on this whiteboard behind me? And he said, yes. Yeah. So I erased the whiteboard. And I said, all right, well, here's what we believe. And I, I draw the performance pathway up on the whiteboard in urban's office. I said, we believe leaders create the culture that drives the behavior that produces results. And I said, I, I think more than anything in a college football program, that your job, our job, right, as coaches, is to create programs and systems that drive the behaviors that win. Whatever winning looks like, right, academic, social, creating great young men on the field, obviously, it's to drive the behaviors that win. And the system for driving those behaviors is a system that we call E plus R equals O. And it's this, like E plus R equals O. Event plus response equals outcome. You don't control the event. You don't control the outcome. You only control the R. Your whole job is equipping guys to respond for, and Urban puts his hand up. He goes, stop, 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 stop. I'm like literally 60 seconds in. He goes, stop. And in my head, I'm like, oh, this, this is the moment where the guy that is a college football coach who was impatient just says, bye-bye, right? And I will, uh, I will, I will truncate the, I will truncate the actual language used here, but he's, he goes, stop, stop, stop. And he goes, and, and I'm like, I just, I don't say a word. And he points at it and he looks at me and he goes, that's the coolest effing thing I've ever seen in my life. And he's silent. And then he looks at Marathi and David and he goes, we're all in, we're doing the whole thing. Get on board. And he turns back to me and he goes, all right, go ahead, keep going. <laughs> and, and all I wanted to say was, do I have to keep going? Because I'm pretty sure I can only screw it up from here. <laughs> I remember you telling us and, that story. I remember you so telling I, us I, that. I did. What was that? I remember you telling us that when we were at dinner. It was John Perry, yeah. you and me, and at, you were, at dinner, yeah. we were telling that story and you're like, do I, I need to just shut up right now and be oh, done. I, I, it doesn't get better than this. Right. So, 
So I, I did finish it out. I listed, you know, the, the principles of the R factor, obviously that we're teaching at the time. And I, I, I listed it all out and, and I got done and it was, it's so funny. Like in my head, I, I tell it was, but you know, my dad's here and like, you know, and I looked at my dad and I go, see, I told you dad, we should follow the, it's all the, the whole father son thing. But the, the cool thing was the cool thing was, and, and I'm a dad and I put myself into my dad's shoes, um, you know, and, and one, what a, what a cool experience to have together. Um, two, what a, what a cool experience to say, all right, you know, to be there in that moment and then for him to turn that over to me and say, Hey, you do it. Um, and then, and then to, to, as a dad, to be able to see that it actually works. And then like, uh, that's a, I mean, I put myself in his shoes. Like, that's a cool moment. Cause it was a cool moment for me. Yeah. It was a cool moment for us to be there. I'm like, I didn't meet urban and get us the meeting. He did. Right. And urban didn't, he'd never met me before that moment right then. And what was cool is that uh, if you took that, uh, that board, uh, Urban's career until he left Ohio State, uh, I think uh, Ryan Day redesigned the office, but um, that was literally what I wrote on that whiteboard was on his whiteboard for the rest of his career, all seven years, eight years, whatever it was, never left. Wow, that's amazing. It was pretty cool. I mean, and I didn't ask him, I didn't say, hey, please keep this for my, you know. <laughs> he just said, when we done the meeting, he goes, that'll be on my board as long as I'm the head coach at Ohio State. Wow. And he, and he held to it. Be cool if he calls you when he's uh, now at Jacksonville. He's like, "Hey, uh, TK's TK's uh, uh, he's super involved. Yeah, nice. TK's TK is down there, and and uh, you know he was TK was super involved in you know you know helping with the decision and processing because you know it's not easy. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of factors that play there for that. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you know, Urban and TK have that relationship yeah. that um, you know it's you. You don't you don't get it just by having good leadership training, right? Those are those two guys are two guys that you know work really well together, and their relationship is bigger than the training, right? That, right. That's a that that's those are two yeah. human beings who formed a relationship. Right. So yeah. Well, so don't be surprised if you see the stamp of Focus Three and Tim Kite on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, we're good. <laughs> I fully expect it. I fully expect it when. When Urban came in and did some of the podcasts, um, and it's a perfect segue to go into your successes now and this new stuff that you're doing with Daily mm -hmm. Discipline. So we've reached in Focus 3. We've gone through the start to the end of Focus 3, and you mm -hmm. decided to branch out. Yeah. And you broke that with us. You kind of let us know in, in, our, in our podcast that you were, you were leaving Focus 3 to start this new adventure, Daily Discipline. Uh, with the emails and now with the podcast that we've talked about, uh, and then COVID hits. What did that look like inside the the whole sphere of I'm breaking away, I'm doing my own thing. Now the country shut down. Yeah, I mean it was. I mean it's it's uh, the the easiest thing to refer to is it it's it's a classic case of E plus R equals O, right? You know, I mean it. it yeah. It's like, okay, well, that's why we do this. That's why we train this, right? Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I, think it's, I think it's too easy to, to look at inconvenient things and only use E plus R equals O for overcoming right. adversity kind of stuff, right? right? You know, I think there's a few things involved. Um, you know, no, number one, um, you know, part of the reason that I, that I, I left Focus 3, um, and, and there's, you know, there's some, there's some uh, you know, there's, I don't know, there's probably some gaps in people's awareness and there's maybe some misconceptions with stuff. But, you know, at, at Focus 3, we the, the we ramped up, our business ramped up so hard, so fast um, across so many different um, industries that we were working in 
you know, Fortune 500, we were working in huge hospitals, we were working in um, pro and college sports teams, we were working in school districts K through 12, and it became really hard to have a, uh, to hold good business principles and how to grow a business. And what I wanted to do was focus on a couple uh, of those areas. Um, and uh, the team we built at Focus 3 was focused on a couple different areas, and I wanted to focus on, on you know, a couple, and I couldn't, I was unsuccessful at sort of getting the alignment pieces right right? And making those things happen. And so I said, hey, rather than create any conflicts or anything like that, or, or in some way limit, you know, I'm going I'm to come over here and then daily discipline. That means I'm had grown to this way bigger than expected audience. And my time was stretched and my attention was stretched. And so I want to come over here and grow, a, you know, a, a certain way, right? Um, and so that's when I, when I broke off and I did that. Um, you know, and then, and then COVID hit, we, you know, we had some plans and we still do um, for some things about how we wanted to do it that you know, not being able to do things in person have limited, um, you know, but at the same time, um, at the same time, like any business, the creative side of what COVID has moved us to do has permanently evolved the way that we do business. Um, and it's just adjusting. Um, we're not one of those businesses because of the nature of what we do. We're not one of those businesses, uh, that, you know, tripled in size during COVID. Uh, they are out there, right? We're not the zooms uh, of there, right? We're not the we're not the mask producers. We didn't triple in, in size and in revenue um, for a bunch of very apparent reasons. You know, we thrive on doing a lot of in person stuff. Great. Um, the the zoom and the internet crowd immediately became this giant pool of people now, which made it harder for you know uh, uh, people doing great stuff to get to get noticed because everybody was in it now. And so you know, Twitter became this giant pool and Instagram and all these places anyway, right? Uh, but it has, uh, it's also forced us to evolve, right? It's supposed, it, it's made us have to get better at putting our stuff out. It, you know, I, I was able to focus probably heavier than I ever have on, uh, the writing, uh, portion of this. Um, you know, we've launched the podcast. We launched way more videos. We put way more stuff online. We launched the daily discipline community, right? Which is, which is sort of the, the members only section of the daily discipline where we, where we you know, dig into and provide resources to accelerate the things that you want through discipline in a much more deep way for people who are on a, a very serious mission, whatever that would be personal or professional. Um, and it's been awesome, you know, and then, and then, you know, obviously, unfortunately, and I don't want not everybody knows this, um, you know, it's not private by any stretch of the imagination. It's just not everybody, not everybody's aware, you know, the, the week after we shut down, uh, so like, you remember that weekend when, when like the first time the toilet paper scarcity yeah. started becoming popular yeah. and yeah. they shut, you know, it was, it was the, it was like the weekend that the airlines all shut down. Mm. It was that weekend. So my dad and, and his wife, my stepmom um, were here and then, um, and then they went home and they were like on the last few days of flights out that they went back to Columbus uh, from Charlotte to Columbus. And then a week later, my dad uh, called and, and told me that he has stage four prostate cancer. And um, it's like, I don't know, early April mid April, something like that. Um, and so it was like, you know, you know, it was the combination of, all right, had just sort of separated as, as business partners, uh, and then COVID had hit and then we find out that he has cancer. Um, and so it was, you know, it was a bunch, but at the same time, right at the same time. Um, and I, and I think this is important. I've, I've talked about this, um, I've talked about this practically a lot over my career and since I've been, been, you know, putting this kind of content out, but I haven't spoken about it experientially before this. 
you know, practically what I've talked about a lot is one of the things I've never understood is the question, why me? I've never understood. I had, I had an experience when I was right after college where, where I saw something, where I saw somebody who, um, you know, um, uh, the person, the person that I saw was, was, uh, uh, talking about somebody else's kid. Uh, I think somebody that maybe somebody in their church or somebody in their school, their, their kid had, uh, uh, got cancer, uh, a young kid, right? I remember if it was five or 10 or 15, but it was whatever, somebody's young child got cancer. And I heard this person say, boy, man, that's heartbreaking. That's, that's, you know, I can't believe that it really makes me super sad. Um, and then they followed it up with, man, if my kid ever got cancer, I just don't know that I would be able to maintain my faith. I don't know how, you know, this person was speaking from a faith perspective. I don't, I don't know how, um, I'm not sure I could, you know, forgive God for that or how he could let that happen to my kid. And I remember in the moment, I don't think they meant it this way, but nonetheless, if they didn't mean it, it's still what's happened. I remember hearing that and going, how wildly selfish is that? Kids are, kids are getting cancer all over the world and you're fine. But if something happened to your kid, now you're going to question whether or not your sense of reality is what you think it is. And I remember it changed me. I mean, I, I heard that and it changed me. And I said, because nobody, nobody direct to me had gotten cancer when I was able to know. My, my grandma died of lung cancer when I was, I think, maybe four, you know, so five. So it was before my processing time. And so it changed me in that moment. I said, ah, when this happens in my life, not if, guys, not if, when this happens in my life. When this happens to me or my kids or my wife or my dad or my brother, and whether it's cancer or a car accident or somebody loses their legs or their eyesight or I don't know, whatever that is, right? When that happens, I'm not going to be surprised. I'm not going to be shocked. It's not going to throw me into a spiral and I'm not going to say why me because why not me? Mm. Why not that person happens to So when my dad called, and by the way, it doesn't mean it's not sad. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't mean it's not heartbreaking for us. It is, right? There's tears. There's tears. But we're not special. And so, you know, he told me and, and, and we said, okay, like, you know, we can acknowledge we don't like this. We can acknowledge that, that this is hard. We can acknowledge, you know, that it's putting curveballs into some stuff that, you know, we had thought X, Y, or Z. And, and we said, okay, great. Well, Let's embrace that. Let's step into it. Let's feel the pain. And then let's look at what we're going to do while we're in that. And that's what we did. And that's what he's done. I mean, he was, um, he was unbelievably uh, uh, focused and strong and productive through chemo uh, all of last year during 2020, finished in October, um, and, then, uh, and then recovered the last couple months of the year and then had surgery for removal in January. And, and he's at stage four, so it's, it's a forever kind of cancer. And, and um, you know, but he's recovered now and, and um, you know, now it's, it's just, you know, tracking what his cancer is doing and he's in a great place doing great work, um, going as hard as ever. And, um, and, you know, and we're just enjoying every minute of every day. Well, that makes, I didn't know the timeline. So when we were doing zoom classrooms, we did this cool March madness, uh, coach Tori had put me on this, uh, March madness thing for us, but we did it for debate stuff like debate topics and through Zoom and kids voted in the chat and we had a winner at the end and your dad submitted a question for us end of April. Yeah. So I didn't even I didn't even know when it, I didn't know the timeline. I knew he did. I just didn't know the timeline of it. Um, so definitely praying for him. Yeah. I mean, he never, yeah. he never stopped. I mean, he he worked yeah. all year. I mean, he you know because because and I learned this from him 
no doubt, right? He he was the he was the model that I that I sought after. Was <clears throat> it's not a job, it's a calling. Yeah. You know, um, he wasn't looking for ways to stop. He was looking for ways to do more. Yeah. Like he was looking for ways to be in. Um, and when that's your mindset, you know, you find what you're looking for. Segment two is brought to you by Great Angels Nissan North. We're here for you, Mississippi. Need a new or pre-owned vehicle? Visit GreatAngelsNissanOfJackson.com. You still have things to do, and you still have places to go. The all-new Great Daniels Nissan North in Jackson is here for you. If you need a new Nissan or a pre-owned vehicle, we have you covered with the lowest new Nissan prices in Jackson and the best customer service you'll find anywhere. In-store, we're going above and beyond to safeguard your health and safety. And with Great Daniels Direct, buy 100% online from the comfort of home. Even schedule service pickup and delivery. Come see us today at the all-new Great Daniels Nissan North in Jackson. We're here for you, Mississippi. I'm going to jump in here. Sorry, I'm late to the party. Uh, I just got done teaching 308. My kids, so it's funny. I want to go back to E plus R equals L very quickly. Uh, I've, I've used that framework now to teach the American Revolution. So the event we're learning about right now is the French and Indian War. Uh, the response from the king is to tax the colonists to make sure you pay for the war. The colonists, their response is to get angry at the king, and it spirals to the next event. So uh, we have the benefit to look back on 250 years almost of American history to say the revolution is the revolution. That's the outcome, right? It doesn't change. Uh, we can't go back and redo history. The, the British can't go back and redo history. But I think it gives us a framework to look at that significant um, period of time in American history. So kudos to you. My kids were super glued to the screen when you were talking about E plus R equals O. And uh, it's not really hard to entertain middle school kids. But boy, if they think you're doing something awesome, they're all in. Uh, so I wanted to go back and say that. Yeah. And then I also want to talk about your dad very quickly. Uh, he gave a leadership presentation to our Iowa Football Coaches Association while he's at your uncle's ranch in Colorado, while he's recovering from the news. Uh, it was super fresh, uh, hadn't had any scar tissue built over that experience yet. And uh, he was very honest with us as Iowa football coaches, the, the people who were on the call. Um, and it was very much like exactly like your response is, right? And I tell my kids this all the time. They're starting to study the revolution and they're like, well, Coach Tory, if the colonists wouldn't have behaved like this, then maybe it would have been different. And so it speaks to your point where brace yourself, right? This mm -hmm. isn't, it's not an if, it's a when. So when this happens, you already know the outcome in mind, right? Like you think about the outcome and if you prepared for the outcome, then you're never really caught off guard. So I think that's really important for, for listeners. A lot of times in coaching and teaching, we're reactive to whatever happens around us. And we just are with whatever tools we have for the most disciplined response at the time. Whereas if we're prepared for this, or if we think about the different outcomes that we could face, um, then we have a way greater chance to not be caught off guard, to have a disciplined response, to go to a better decision, to make a better outcome because we've already thought about it. And I think that's a really important takeaway. And I don't remember if we talked about this last time, um, but that's that's why with the equation of E plus R equals O, that, that's why I, I need to teach. And it's why I've shifted part of how I teach E plus R equals O over the last couple of years compared to the first 12 is, you know, English, we read left to right. And so people start with the event because the, the equation goes left to right. But that's for me, that's 5% of the time. 95% of the time, it's start on the right-hand side, outcome. What do you want? 
Like think about like, imagine if you didn't make a determination about where you were going to drive your car until somebody else on the road made you react. Think about that. Like you get in the car and you're like, all right, I'm going to start moving, but then I'm not going to decide where I'm going until some other car interacts with my car somehow. It's crazy. So no, it's like the whole point is we're trying to create that out uh, that. Oh, and then, you know, like whether it's again, whether it's cancer or whether it's football or whether it's just, what are we going to do tonight in our home? Right. It's movie night in our house. They just put, uh, they just put Sonic the Hedgehog on uh, prime. So we're having movie night in the kite house. Okay. We're doing pizza and Sonic. My kids are going to stay up way past their bedtime. Tomorrow will be a disaster, but tonight will be fun. But we're, we go and say like, what outcome do we want? And so like, we took the list and I say, okay, like my dad and I, and our family, our whole family, I just say my dad and I, cause we're in the business. Like the outcome we want is to, enjoy your life. That's the outcome we want. If the E means that cancer only gives us four more years of that, that's just the context. It doesn't make the outcome less. It just means that it's the constraint. But if we start with, oh my gosh, this E of cancer, when all of a sudden it's like, well, what possible outcomes could we create? We can't do all of it. We start being limited in our head by the event itself. So that's the most, so I'm, I am like 95% of life is lived outcome first. Second piece is, I love you bring up the American Revolutionary War. I wish I was wearing my 3% shirt right now because uh, it's in my, it's over my closet. My favorite part about the American Revolutionary War, jumping over to the culture side, okay? Not the E plus R equals O side, but the culture side, is that people don't understand. During the Revolutionary War, half of the people who lived in the colonies in America wanted the British to win that fight. And they're like, oh, we've never been more divided as a nation. Are you kidding me? We had a civil war. A civil war. And during the Revolutionary War, you act like everybody was for America. No. Some people just wanted to live in this part of the world, but wanted the king to rule us. So we had half of the Americans hoping that the British won that. So we already had half the people in the country who we had to fight against who are our own people. Second piece is of the 50% who supported, 95% of them had zero interest in actually fighting for that support. They just wanted to give moral support. And so the whole point is this, and this is the culture side. What they took for America to get created was not 100% of the people who lived here being supportive, not even the majority, because it wasn't even 50%. Of the people that supported it, it was literally only 3% of the American population at the time who were willing to actually pick up arms and go fight for our own freedoms. And that's where 3% comes from. And what does that tell us? Well, it tells us about culture is this, and you guys have heard me say this before. This is why I look at it. Everybody in a, in a school or a team or whatever, a business, they're all worried about, well, I can't change the culture because I'm, you know, I'm the only one trying to fight for this. And the point is, go watch history. Every time something is transformed for the better, it wasn't a large group. It was the small group of committed people to a higher standard who followed that purpose and they were willing to fight for it. In the American Revolutionary War, it was real fighting, true fighting, right? In what we're talking about, right, it's fighting for principles, right? Not, not true fighting, but like, you know, what standard is going to win out here? Right. And so, you know, every, every, you know, we hear the American Revolutionary War and we, we think it was like this tidal wave of American support. And it could not, that could not be further from the truth. It was a quiet group of people, right, who were willing to say, no, we'll go carry this for the rest of you because we'll do it. And then it was a quiet group of people who crafted the Declaration of Independence and, you know, crafted the Bill of It was a small, quiet group who said, look, we, we're, we're not going to be the, the rabble rousers here. I don't know why that word came to my mind. Maybe sound like 70 years old, but you get it. Right. So for culturally, 
you know, the, the Revolutionary War is a phenomenal example of how true culture transforms. Small group with a split opinion who went out and said, this is the standard we believe in and we're going to go put it on the line for it. Let's go. What's that and mean? And that's just us taking that principle in and saying, like, what's, what's that look like in our world, right? What's that look like for us? Yeah. I want to stay on um, the event. And you, I was DMing you and Tori and I were trying to get you back on. And I hit you up with a DM, and then the next day, like not even 24 hours, it's like 12 hours, you say that you're going silent on social media. I was <laughs> like, well, damn. <laughs> it's like, well, we'll get him next year. Here's what I want to ask you. For the, for the record, I saw that DM, and I apologize, <laughs> but I drew, I drew my line, and I couldn't get, I couldn't get back to you. I, I apologize. It was not, not there. So It's fine. Three percent, right? Be in the three percent. That's right. So here's my question to you. And Tori and I talked about this last night. During that time that you were unplugged. Yeah. What did you learn the most about yourself, about maybe your dad's situation? Like, how did you grow from that situation, from that event of taking yourself and unplugging? Because I think a lot of people can learn from unplugging since we're always have to be plugged in we always think we have to get plugged be plugged in well number one is i i didn't do it my team wanted me to write a blog post and do videos on all the things that i learned from it and i told them no i want to do that i didn't i didn't do it to teach other people things i did it for myself i just i did it for a few reasons so before i talk about what i learned why, why did i do it um <clears throat> number one um i've always said that if it wasn't for business i wouldn't be on social media at all like if i if i didn't use it to teach content and put stuff out there i wouldn't be on it because i just don't care um, and I'd never actually done that before. And I'd never, I'd never put our business attention in other platforms. Um, cause it's, you know, social media is free. Um, it, it has massive distribution. It's a, it's an incredibly leveraged tool. It's amazing, uh, for, from a business view. So it's been huge. Um, arguably the, the largest tool for, you know, my career in terms of uh, reach and all that stuff. Um, number two, we were coming up into election season and I wanted zero part of, anything happened to do with any of that stuff. I, I wanted to be as far away from any of that as I possibly could. I had, I had muted every word that I could possibly think of that would put any of that stuff in there. Um, you know, I, you know, I didn't like, I didn't like what Twitter was suggesting was news that I might be interested in. If I was going to the search to type in, you know, your name to go find your profile and grab you, you know, I, to, I had to navigate through that panel where it showed, Hey, this guy said this, and this guy said that. I, I didn't like the, the. I didn't like what was being shown there. Um, there was a bunch of stuff that even in my feed, like again, I don't control the algorithm, so there's a bunch of stuff in my feed that that I didn't like seeing, and and you know, it was some tweet that somebody else I followed liked or whatever, and then I was like, you know, I didn't like the anger, and I didn't like the the, the these things because they they had. If I wasn't seeing it here, I I never encountered it in my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 look, I'll, I'll take like, like racism, for example, right? Like I turn this on and I hear like the world is this awful, you know, white people on the whole can't stand black people. And, you know, black people don't have this and Asian people don't have that. And white people are this and all that. There's all this stuff right around all the race and all these different pieces. And then I put this away and I just go live in the world. And it's not that that doesn't exist because it obviously does. But I live in the world. It ain't like what it says on this. True. 
And so, um, th- you know, this is, there's a misrepresentation. So that was why I, that was why I stepped away. Um, and I just wanted to see what happened, right. Both to my business, <laughs> uh, me. Um, and so here's what happened. Um, it was refreshing. It was nice. Um, there's my, my mom taught me something when I was pretty young, like 15. Um, and she taught me things aren't bad, but your relationship with them can be. She's like, you know, she's like, look, alcohol. And I think she was talking about alcohol at the time. She's like, she's like, Brian, she's like, alcohol is not bad, but your relationship with it can be very bad. Right. And she had an alcoholic dad and, and, you know, uh, my dad had an alcoholic dad and, you know, not that they were bad people. They just were alcoholics. Um, you know, so I like the glass of wine. I like the glass of bourbon. Right. Uh, I like Twitter and engaging with it. Right. There's nothing wrong with Twitter. Nothing wrong with Instagram. Whatever's in there is because of the people putting it in. So it's not the platform that's an issue. It's either one, the content we or other people are putting in, or two, it's our relationship with the thing. So I just wanted to make sure that one, I checked my relationship with it. And by the way, in 2019, I took nine months off of, off of drinking, uh, just because, um, uh, my wife, uh, had, was pregnant with our daughter. And I told my wife, Hey, whenever we have a kid, I'm not going to drink while you're pregnant. Cause you're not, I'm like, so that like, you're already there. So I'll go with you. And literally like three weeks later, she goes, Hey, we're pregnant. We're having a kid. And I was like, that was way too fast. I wasn't ready. <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday in 2019. So I, I oh. went, I went a year without drinking nine months straight total. Like not like a little bit or except for the July, I mean, zero, just because I wanted to say, all right, I've never gone nine months. I've never done it. Why not? Let's just go flex that muscle, right? Just to show myself, you know, that's there. So what I learned was, um, you know, it's like anything else. Like if we, you know, you learn this by, by fasting, you learn it by anything else. Cause that's all it is. It's really, it's just a fast. Right? Fasting from food, fasting from water, fasting from social media, fasting from alcohol, again, whatever. Is we learned that most of the time we're interacting and engaging on this thing, it's based on a pattern, not based on a need. And the same thing with food, right? We, 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 we snack because we're, we're doing an activity where we normally snack and then doing the activity makes us feel like, oh, I should be snacking right now. Or, you know, when I'll go on a 48 hour, 72 hour fast where I don't eat any food, just drink water. Like if I walk through my kitchen and say hey to my kids, like when I walk sort of by my kitchen, I'm not hungry at all, but all of a sudden I'll like find myself standing in the pantry and I'd be like, what am I doing? And I'm like, dang, I'm not even remotely hungry. But, um, so what, what I realized was, was the amount of mental space that even really good social media use can take up. If you're not, if I'm not super disciplined, the amount of mental space, you know, people are suffering from anxiety and not even like anxiety around something specific, like you know, acute generic anxiety, right? And there's a huge part of it is because, you know, they've got a poor relationship with what's here. Um, You know, their head is being filled with subtly and subconsciously all these nasty things that they see from people, right? Like I'm way less on the whole, like living fake lives through social media. I'm not, we've always lived fake lives. Come on, go go to the 80s. Like all people did was live fake lives in the eighties and act like we've human beings have always sort of act like they have more than they have. That's not even remotely new. This just, this just makes it more technologically advanced. That's not new. What is new is that we are not built as human beings to know as much about as many people and as many things as social media has allowed us to do. 
you know, John, I'll give this, for, I'll give this for example, right? You and I, we could be, you know, we lived in the same town, right? Both of you guys, right? But we, we could, if we lived in the same town, we could live together and we could hang out and, you know, we could get together for, you know, beers or cigars or pizza or whatever, you know, take our kids to soccer together again, whatever it would be. We, we could do that for six, seven, eight years and be really good friends. And I could never really, you know, I never really had to process the, the, the true anger around some of your political views. Like you would just have them, but like if we're sitting in person, you're not spitting vitriol at me about whatever president or whatever. Right. right. But if I follow you on social media or Facebook or whatever, and now all of a sudden, anytime I open it, because we're friends and we interact and stuff, I start seeing you talking about, you know, how much you hate this president, how much you hate this president, how much you hate this president, how much you, like at some point, all of a sudden I'm looking at that and I'm like, like if we're together, this is not how you talk. Yeah. But if we're on social media and I'm friends with a thousand people and I got 30 some odd, I don't know, thousand followers or whatever, like, like if we're on social media with people, all of a sudden we're processing opinions from people that are close to us that we otherwise would never really process them that way. Mm. And we're processing them from strangers and we're getting mad about stuff that when we're in person, we don't talk like that to each other. So we're seeing things from people on social that I just don't think we're built to see and we're processing more. And as adults, I'm you know looking at it saying, okay, but where I've got most empathy is I, I accept zero judgments of kids on social media, zero. Because a kid at 13, 14 has processed more information and seen more about the world at that age than you and I did by the time we were 30. And they're not equipped for it. It's not on them. It's just the nature of the world we live in. And we're adjusting um, and it's not perfect. So that, you know, it was less so much about what I learned. And it was frankly just an experience I had. Like I just, social media is what it's always been. It's a platform. Like the TV isn't bad, right? But you can watch too much of it. (laughs) You know, like I, I love, I love Game of Thrones. I love you know, Ray Donovan, I love Walking Dead. Like there's some cool shows, right? Friends or not friends, but uh, The Office, hilarious, right? But like, we don't go around being like, you know, TVs are the bane of existence, but they did when the radios came out. Like when TVs were out, like an MTV in the eighties, like everybody's like, you know, it's gonna ruin children. Well, 45 year olds are doing fine. I'm doing fine, MTV yeah. didn't ruin me, right? This isn't gonna ruin people either, but there are some things about how this is happening that we need to, we need to make sure that we're, we're, uh, you know, empathizing and, and respecting our relationship with it. It's still new. Our final segment is brought to you by ProQuickDraw. If you have a basic understanding of drawing plays in PowerPoint, but ready to take it to the next level, then ProQuickDraw is for you. Listen to our sponsor as they outline how ProQuickDraw can help you become a better football coach. ProQuickDraw is the Microsoft Playbook development system that is centered on increasing your efficiency in drawing plays, generating scouting reports, creating scout cards, and much more. We have the capabilities of drawing within PowerPoint and Visio. Coaches are currently using the programs as standalone drawing platforms or integrating them both within PQD. You can create your presentation using PowerPoint, but quickly add plays from your Visio library. Build your library of plays from scratch or by using the PQD folder system. 
Create your playbook by adding drawings from your library to a custom template to help organize your final playbook. Utilize our Visio stencils or PowerPoint shape library to help you draw your plays. Speed up the workflow by not having to copy and paste. PQD will resize your drawing based on the template that you have chosen. Embed video within your presentation to help create a digital playbook. We offer templates for handouts and presentations for staff, unit, or player meetings. Generate your practice script using our advanced button. Print this for your coaches or send digitally to your players before practice. You can even convert the handout to scout cards and flip the drawings. Save time during the week not having to draw cards. Draw that play once for the year and you have it moving forward. Connect your library to a cloud service or the school network. When a coach updates a drawing, simply click the Refresh All Plays button to update the document. We believe we have the tools that can help you become a better coach. Download a free 30-day trial and change the way you work. I want to talk about this last part with you. And it's we call it our, your signature. Yeah. And with daily discipline and where it's gone to where it is, my question to you is, where do you see daily discipline with all platforms in the next five years, 10 years? Man, first is, you know, I think one of the, one of the things I believe is that, uh, we don't, whatever guess we have about where our limits are, uh, that's not where they are. Uh, we, we, we cap ourselves. Right. Um, and so, you know, for me, you know, what I picture is, is I really look at, you know, what, what my priorities are. So, you know, obviously my priority with, with discipline and therefore through the daily discipline podcast and email is, you know, I'm on a mission to, to help people redefine discipline in their lives so that they can rediscover it and re-energize it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that discipline is the one skill that improves everything it touches. And most people don't understand what discipline is and why it works. So that's the mission. Um, and for, from there it's, you know, I don't, you know, you ask her, I, I sent an email. I, I don't know if email is going to die in the next five to 10 years or whether it's going to like rethrive again because of the nature of how things work. I don't know. Right. Um, but through whatever the platform is, um, you know, I want our, I, I want the people, the people who want to get better. I want to be a source for them every day because it's hard to get better if we're not paying attention to it on a daily basis. And I want to be there for them. Whatever those platforms are, I'm going to be there. So audio, visual, written, you know, if you don't like reading emails, I'm all good with that. You can listen to the podcast. If you don't like listening to the podcast, that's all. I'm all good with that. There's a video. You don't like either one of those things. We'll do it in person, right? Like right. I'm, I'm agnostic. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. Um, um, you know, over the next five years, I'd like to have, uh, uh, you know, a, a couple books out, you know, I think one, one, you know, if I look at the next five, depending on what the pacing is going to be, um, I mean, probably three books over the next five years, um, you know, one on, on, on team performance, um, uh, leadership, culture, and behavior, um, one on discipline itself. Um, and, you know, and then probably one on, on, um, you know, as I look at sort of how I link them together is, you know, we look at, at discipline and if we tackle our own discipline, that's great. But you know, the second piece of the puzzle is how do we tackle our own discipline in the context of the other people that we live and work with? Yeah. Because I can tackle my own discipline, but if I feel like 
if I feel like I'm not getting supported or if I feel like I'm facing criticism or if I feel like, and all of a sudden, you know, we all know it, right? We've all been really committed to something for a while until the adversity or the, the, the roadblocks we faced from other people kind of wore us down. We've all been caught in that. Um, and so there's a huge part of my mission of outlasting the cynics. Um, and I think that's something, at least as I observe the world, uh, you know, we can call it cancel culture or, you know, whatever the stuff that's out there, right? Or, or and, and frankly, uh, even on the other side of that, because, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not dogmatic about anything. I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh, none of this for me is, uh, is stuff that <clears throat> is inflexible. I, I look at the world and I, I try to look at, you know, what's right, what's good, what works. Um, you know, there's cancel culture and there's a lot of horrible things going on with that, right? Um, and there's a lot of other things on the other side where there's people trying to change some stuff and make things better because we haven't gotten them right yet. And I want that to happen. And, you know, most people are like, well, there's, there's progressive, right. And then there's conservative or there's, you know, again, it's not so much political, but it's more just like kind of where our minds are of look, if you're going to change something and make something better, you're going to have to outlast cynics period. Like if you're going to, if you're going to improve your own life, you're going to have to outlast cynics. I mean, you know, <laughs> You know, I'll even make it, you know, <laughs> we can laugh about it, right? Like if, if for all the husbands out there, like if you're going to get in shape, if you're going to get in your own shape and get healthier, you're going to have to outlast the cynic both inside your head and inside your home because you know damn well, just like I do, one of the biggest cynics about you getting in better shape is probably your wife. Yeah. Probably teasing you, probably making fun of you, probably not helping you with the food that's getting made. Like I wish it was a little different, whatever. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of guys out there who want to get in better shape, but because they don't have the support, from their spouse, they're like, oh, they don't, right? And so like, sometimes, you know, sometimes you gotta like lock yourself in your own little box and be like, all right, I'm gonna do this for me. Right. So there's the discipline side, but then man, there's this whole other side of, man, how do we how do we carve out our discipline in a world that isn't always gonna support you? And I think that's one of the counterculture messages I would like to lead and continue leading is, I'm not the only one, there's a lot of people out there. If, like, you don't need everybody's support to go on your mission. Right. It's kind of the anti-coddling piece here. Like, look, I, I want to empathize. I want to help. I want to go. But at the end of the day, my dad has cancer and there's no part of the world that's coming. Like, oh, is that hard? Is that tough? Let me, let me undo some of that cancer for you. Like we forget, man, we, we live these soft lives that we have here now because of technology and medicine and all this different stuff. Nature doesn't care. Yeah. It doesn't care. Right. And I don't mean that for like, I mean, that in like, like group dynamics, Everybody's like, no, no, no. look, if you put a hundred people in the room, they're not all equal. They're equal in terms of their worth as humans. They're equal in terms of, you know, their identity. They're equal in terms of, you know, their respect and value as human beings. They're not equal in production. They're not equal in contribution. They're not equal in um, style because, because they're not all equal in how they feel emotions. They're not all equal in terms of how they process information. They're not all equal in height and weight and they're not. So you put in a hundred people in a room. Like if you're like, all right, hundred people in a room, uh, <laughs> who can, who can dunk a basketball? It ain't gonna be me. <laughs> I am, I am way on the low end of equality. Piece, okay. Like that's just how it is. But if you said, Hey, who can get up in the room? Like who, who maybe could influence some people and kind of get us online. I'm gonna put my hand up and say, Hey, I think I'm pretty good at that. I think I can do that. Who can, who can do math and play guitar? Eh. Not me back there, but I'm not that good at it. Don't put me up there. There's other guys who are like, oh yeah, like, no, I, I can process a lot of, so, you know, we have to operate in a world that is not going to be set up for us or me.
because the world itself does not care about me. I care about me. My family cares about me. And then the people that we interact with, we make decisions about how we care about each other. But at the end of the day, something happens, you know, something happens, you know, pandemic, you guys are taking care of your families just like I am. So then let me build off that just a little bit with something that you put out in a daily discipline earlier this week. So I love what you stand for with daily discipline, with growth, with evolution, with discipline, with the need for coaching, no matter where you are on any of that. Uh, And one of the last lines in one of your emails this week was, everyone is training for something. So I guess as you look for the next five years, I I know you want to put out books and you want to keep putting out uh, content on podcasts and whatever streams of media are out there. What are you training for? Well, first and foremost, I'm training for all of the opportunity and adversity that I'm going to face in my life. You know, my dad getting cancer is not the last time cancer is going to find its way into to my circles. I don't know when it's coming next, but somebody's getting it somewhere. Um, so I'm training for that. I'm also training for, you know, uh, I'll go to Urban, right, of, of that, that story with Urban. of I, Everything was training for something. Had we met Urban Meyer two years before we did, he wouldn't have hired us. We weren't ready. We wouldn't, we would have lost that moment. Completely convinced of it. My dad is too. Um, ego wants to say, yeah, no, we would have, no, we wouldn't. Um, so it, it took 10 years of training, but I didn't know that moment was coming and I didn't know when it was coming. Didn't know if it was coming. Uh, so there's those that are coming up. So when I think about what I'm training for, it's, it's really the two things, opportunity and adversity that is coming to my life. And because I don't know when it's coming or what it's going to look like, I've got to be ready to deal with both of those things. So that's number one. And then number two is that, you know, I'll, I'll put the, the high school sports world, the college sports world, the business world, we're living through right now, we're living through an unbelievable era of transformation. Um, I won't compare it to other eras because I don't, I don't know the benefit of that per se in terms of whether it's harder or better or what it up. It's just, it is an era of transformation. College athletes are going to get paid and paid really well in our lifetimes, period. It's going to happen. It doesn't matter what you or I think about that. It doesn't matter whether you like it uh, uh, or I like it or whether I don't. Or, you know, Again, it doesn't matter. I, I happen to be in favor of it, but the point is it's going to happen. COVID accelerated it. Um, we're living in an era where in business, um, you know, COVID accelerated uh, uh, work, working from home and offices letting people have flexible work weeks. I think the work week is going to fundamentally change in terms of how often people go into their offices. I think there's going to be, be businesses and industries that are forever shifted to a flexible work schedule where they say, hey, it's no longer five days in the office. It's a flexible. You come in any two. Mm-hmm. Other, the other days, you don't have to come in. So I'm training for the fact that before, you know, before, uh, before the radio information took a certain amount of time to get places. You know, then once the radio happened, it went there. And then, then from the radio, it was the TV. And then from the TV, it was opinions in 24 hours on the TV. And then from, from there, it was social media. And it was like, we're not done. We're just getting started. So I am training for the new realities that are unfolding, which I can't predict, but I can anticipate. I won't be right on all of them, but I can be ready for whatever it is that happens. That, that's what I train for. That and 
that and you know raising my kids well and and being a good dad to them putting them in position for success not living their life for them or telling them how to live but equipping them with great tools and letting them figure out who they are and how to be great at that whether that is anywhere near my path or polar opposite yeah this is great for eighth graders, you know, in an uncertain world who've had so much lost by the pandemic, we're expecting them to grow up socially and emotionally in a world that's basically lawless over the course of the last year. I think this is amazing because on one end, you're going to have a lot of opportunities as you go to high school, as you continue to advance and grow. And then on the other hand, you're going to have a lot of adversity as well, like adversity you're not prepared for. Um, and eighth grade, for me, should be the training ground of your life, right? Like you're learning lessons. You, you shared a lesson earlier your mom passed on to you when you were 15 years old. You're right in the middle of your training. Um, so I think that everything that you have to say is pertinent to where we are as a society, whether you're 55 or 30 or 15. Um, and I just appreciate uh, the, the spin you put on things. I, I think there's very little of what you're saying that's pro, uh, proprietary to you intellectually. But I just think you put it into perspective. Um, and my personal example is the, the unit that I'm teaching right now with E plus R equals O. If I wouldn't have heard you say that with the outcome in mind and then in reverse a, a while ago, um, it just it makes me think about the, the different ways that I teach, makes me think about the different things happening in my life. And it's that framework yeah. that sometimes we don't always, always get context for. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I can't leave you hanging on this and I'll, I'll reward all of the listeners who stuck around to the end here with this. <laughs> uh, so if you're still here, you're welcome. Um, and thank you, by the way, for listening. <laughs> so take opportunity diversity. So, so here's, here's the interesting piece. Cause if you're going to teach this, I got to make sure you have this. <clears throat> here's the thing about opportunity diversity. Uh, the one thing we know is that we're going to get both. We're guaranteed. Whether, whether you were just born or whether you've got a week left on this planet, right? uh, you're going to get both. But what we don't know about them is more important. Okay, Because there's three things we don't know and we'll never know. Number one is we don't know when they're coming. Number two is we don't know what they're going to look like. And then here's what number three is, most important one in my experience. We don't even know which one is which. When you're in eighth grade, you and I, we've all three of us have been in eighth grade, right? We've all had our eighth grade, ninth grade experience of, of what I'm going to say right now. And we've also had our adult ones. There's been times where in eighth grade, you thought, what an opportunity this is. Oh my gosh, this is the best. And then it wasn't until you got into it that you realized it wasn't an opportunity at all. It was just adversity. You thought it was opportunity. It wasn't. There's other times where you thought, oh man, this is awful. This is adversity. And it turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to you. So here's what, here's what we find out. Number one, we'll never be really good at knowing which one we're in while we're in it because our brain sends us a lot of messages. So here's what we can know. Anytime we're in, anytime we're in opportunity, it's paired with and comes with adversity. There is no opportunity that exists apart from adversity. And anytime you step into adversity, it comes with opportunity. If we stop trying to think which one we're in and which one this is, and we look and we say, okay, every single opportunity 
is adversity. And every single adversity is opportunity. And we realize it's both at the same time, 100% of the time. We stop the number one problem that we do in our brains, which is thinking it's all one or all the other. And that carries all the way up, right? You know, we get married on our wedding day. What do we think it is, right? We, we marry, we get married, we're like, ah, oh. we say, ah, oh, this is what? I've met the love of my life. Which one do we think we're in? Opportunity, right? Like, exactly. love of my life, you're amazing, this is phenomenal, right? You, you, you be married longer than that and you realize staying married is opportunity and it's a lot of diversity. You don't get the wonderful things that come out of marriage unless you're willing to go through the adversity of you know, parenting, opportunity. Also, adversity, football games. You want to be a champion? Opportunity. But it's also, so with eighth grade and all those, like that's the big piece of those two is. We think we're in one or the other. We're never in one or the other. We're always in both. That's a great way to leave it. Enough said. Yep. <laughs> Put a bow on that. That's yeah. great. That's it. Well, BK, man, once again, uh, always a pleasure having you in. Um, we'll have to do it again sometime. Go for a trifecta. Uh, love it. You guys are the best. Thank you. And, uh, man, enjoy Sonic. And then I got to ask, will. before we go, what type of pizza? Ooh, if it's up to me? Yep. I uh, mean, if it's up to me, I'm either going like a works or I'm going with, uh, in Ohio, they have a place called Donato's. Uh, we're in Charlotte, but Donato's, they have a founder's favorite, pepperoni, ham, sausage, banana peppers. We get those, but we usually don't do pizza out of here, so we're gonna get that stuffed crust with that garlic parmesan little painted on the outside. Good stuff. There it is. All right, man. Enjoy it. Enjoy Sonic and pizza. And uh, BK, thanks for joining us in the classroom. All right, guys. Thanks. See ya. Much appreciated. Thanks.